0: When talking about the, those who become enlightened following the Buddha's path we often say their parami are complete, perfected. This term parami, the ten parami, a very useful description of the different qualities we develop in our practice. Have all a whole wide range of spiritual qualities that we're developing in every aspect of the practice. not a term the Buddha really referred to in the suttas or the Vinaya. But usually we hear about the parami he perfected in his previous lives through the Jataka tales. Perfecting each parami in a particular life, but obviously developing them over many, many lives. If, if ever we are uncertain about the purpose of the practice why we're here what we're aiming for these reflecting on these can quickly bring us back to the path and give us direction just as we say when we reflect on the four noble truths or the eightfold noble path quickly gives us the method or the way that the Buddha taught. When you bring your mind to consider the parami, already can be a cause for the mind to turn to Dhamma and that can have its wholesome effect. The mind settles down, becomes a little brighter, more inspired. Of course, these are reflections, they're just neutral in their their way. Reflecting on qualities that one perfects through actions, through speech and through mental training. They're not things we just sit down and judge ourselves straight away with that sense of self that always forms when we're not careful or mindful. We say, oh, I have no barami, or little barami. I'm bad. I'm no good in the practice, or whatever. Or we compare with others. I have more barami than someone, or less barami than someone. It's obviously not a teaching or a reflection to use in that way but a skillful means to turn the mind to Dhamma. And the more you consider the ten parami, you can see they all are very closely linked and support each other in terms of the development of practice. They all make up part of the whole and they depend on each other. If you perfect one, then you're necessarily going to be perfecting others along the way, supporting. But they do have their different aspects which helps us to look at what practice involves. So like Dana Bharami. Perhaps it's at the beginning, although it's perhaps not immediately obvious how subtle dana bharami can be developed, but the beginning of spiritual practice must begin with Dāna, with giving, and it's that very obvious, clear countering of so the opposite the spiritual qualities and you develop generosity by giving up selfishness, meanness, stinginess, possessiveness and practicing giving and generosity you're immediately in a very obvious way letting go of self we hear about the path often described as a path of letting go and letting go of attachment letting go of attachment to self so dana parami is a very obvious way that one is practicing that obviously it's practiced in conjunction with all the other paramis so dana requires Effort, say, requires wisdom to be done skillfully, fruitfully. It's done hand in hand with metta, goodwill, and so on. Even done with <coughs> upaka, say, in terms of material giving. You give something away and if you perfect dana at that moment that, with that act, then your mind is returning to equanimity in the sense the deed is done. One has no more any concern or attachment to the thing that is given. So one just gives and lets it end there one's former attachment to that material thing that is given. The mind goes to equanimity. Even if the outcome maybe is not always what one planned. Gives something and it's not used in the way one thought, one one hoped for. Or the person receiving the gift misuses it, or just doesn't use it. And one is still maintaining equanimity with all the different possibilities. One might learn something, but one is not letting the mind go into, say, disappointment, or surprise, or judging it. One goes to just letting go. doing an act of service one does it and does it because it's a good thing to do one is putting forth effort to let go of some of one's own stinginess or selfishness but having done it if it We've contemplated and seen it's the right thing to do and then we do it and let go. Not seeking uh, praise or trying to impress anybody. But seeing it's actually part of the practice for ourselves to let go. We gain from the act. And obviously if it's an act of service or giving something to somebody then... Other people gain as well, but we gain. So we don't need any kind of, uh, necessarily, any recognition when you practice Dhanabharami. In Thailand they talk about sticking gold leaf on the back of the Buddha statue, In one with the mind of a deva they're one with a a well-developed spiritual mind. Their practice of giving doesn't need to be recognized or praised. The one giving knows and that's good enough, even if nobody else knows. One mind is benefiting and developing and that's good for everyone if it's done in a pure and correct way. The opposite of sticking the gold leaf on the front of the Buddha where one is maybe hoping everyone will see how good one is and one is looking for those more superficial or worldly results from one's goodness, good act. Obviously, just giving the Bharami of giving is supported by all the other paramis, and as one's practice develops, then maybe one's ability to give improves. One can give in more ways, one develops skills that one can share, one develops more wisdom and understanding and clarity of mind. So one doesn't just give in a more basic way of giving a material thing or a service and one can give a bayadana forgiveness and literally fearlessness. One gives up anger, one gives up seeking of revenge, one gives up a tendency towards threatening or harming others, holding on to thoughts of revenge or getting back at others. So one gives forgive, learns to give forgiveness, which is a much more subtle internal quality. and then even on a deeper level the giving of Dhamma one has experienced understood through the practice the greatest gift nothing excels the gift of giving Dhamma as Dhamma gives people the means to free themselves from suffering to pursue the path gives them the tools for them to develop So just giving is something we have to contemplate and see well, oh, this is, this is a barami. What does barami mean? In practical terms, it means a quality that is sustained, becomes part of one's character. So it's something we're strengthening and deepening through practice. So obviously that means a lot of the time, par, at least 10 paramis, one is repeating. There's a lot of repetition in the practice, repeating, but also deepening one's awareness of why one, in the case of Dhanabharami, why one gives, how to do it well for one's benefit, for the benefit of others, how to, what to give, in what way at what time, whether it's material, or mental, or the giving of Dhamma, in whatever way, one skill in giving deepens, and sustaining that so it's not easily swayed by by either external conditions, which are not conducive, the stresses and strains of life in the world, or the internal conditions of one's own kilesa which may come up to counteract either through greed, anger or delusion and the tendency and the characteristic of giving the quality of giving so it might be lethargy, apathy laziness it might be tiredness might be distraction, might be just greed and self-obsession and pursuing one's own more selfish thing, uh, motives, might be anger, sometimes we don't want to give because we're angry and so on. These are the kind of challenges just to the development of the parami of giving which we have to learn sometimes to rise to the challenge, sometimes we have to learn how to deal with the challenge skillfully. Push through it sometimes, through effort. Uh, persistent effort, and viriyabharami. Sometimes to use wisdom teach ourselves how to give even when we remind ourselves why we do it and the value of it when we don't want to do it for some reason. Sometimes one uses adhitanabharami to develop dhanabharami. One maybe thinks of some form of giving that is Difficult, but you know it's going to be good for you if you do it. It could be a material thing or a service. But to overcome the difficulty, one makes an aditana. One determines, I'm going to do this. Makes the mind very clear in its intention to give. And then makes sure it pushes through and completes that act whatever the obstacles. The Aditana Bharami in all aspects of practice, whether it's dana, sila, samadhi, panya, any aspect of the practice, Aditana is a very important Bharami. It's very much a sort of foundation stone Bharami. Often we need to make a clear decision and determination in the mind before we do other things which are more difficult, and then we have to stick to it. So often, such a parami supports Aditana barami. Such is honesty, truthfulness, but being true to what you're doing. So, being sincere, committed. If you've made an Aditana, to do something, maybe to help somebody, or help a group of people, help a monastery, or help some, somebody in some way. One makes that clear determination to do it, and then one has, sticks to that with a truth, truthfulness and honesty. One doesn't trick oneself or trick others one doesn't become half-hearted. We also need wisdom, Bharami, to see what we can do. There's no point taking on something or trying to apply oneself to do some great act of dhāna that one can't do, beyond one's means or one's ability. Wisdom helps to guide that. Or if obstacles come up in the middle, It helps give one some creativity and ability to look at things to see what needs to be done to solve the problem or the obstacle in the middle of giving that might have come up. So just in the perfection of one parami, all the other paramis are playing supportive roles and they are interdependent in this way. Dhanabharami, Bharami often at the beginning of the list. They're, they're like the initial hurdles before we really start practicing. We have to learn how to give something, give away, give up give up too. Nekama is partly the same thing. You have to learn how to give up more temporary, lesser kinds of pleasure and happiness if we are to pursue the higher, deeper happiness of the spiritual path that leads to Nibbana. And that you can see in the beginning of practice is a, can be a big stumbling point just thinking about it what I have to give up say to become a monk to stay in a monastery even just to practice meditation for an hour in the lay life that's where Nei is being developed is it worth it? can I really do it? Do I really want to give up this, give up that? All those sort of discussions we might have with ourselves, or others, or others might put onto us. It's very common. Somebody says they want to go and spend a week in the monastery, or three months in the monastery, and they might get a lot of other people doubting whether it's really worth it you won't make any money, what will you learn there, just spend all your time hanging out, sleeping and eating, what will you really gain from that? But if you said you're going to spend the same amount of time traveling somewhere, people might say, oh that sounds good, sounds interesting, maybe. Maybe they want to come along with you as well. Why is that? Because sometimes we don't yet appreciate Nekama, Barami, the value of it. Why do we have to give up things, give up an evening meal, practice celibacy, give up TV and movies and music and all these other things? One is giving up a lesser form of happiness that is very unstable, uncertain, temporary, unreliable, for something that is far more stable, certain, reliable. Something deeper that affects us much in a much deeper, more profound way, lasts longer, lasts indefinitely ultimately speaking. So one needs Panya Bharami to support Nekama parami. We have to consider why we practice Nekama. What's the point of it? Why is it worth it? Maybe we have to listen to Dhamma. Think about the path. Also think about the drawbacks of what we're giving up. Use wisdom to consider Well, when you do practice kamma, you're giving up these lesser pleasures. Why is it worth it? Well these lesser pleasures, they're not very reliable. It's the nature of the sensual realm is that it can't bring us total satisfaction all the time. That's a delusion. And we're constantly caught out by craving, expecting that, hoping for that, thinking it, it it's maybe just possible to always get a little bit more happiness and it will last a little bit longer from these more worldly pursuits. But it's the nature of the sensual realm is that waitana, which is pretty much what we're pursuing is anicca. It's anicca dukkha anatta. Meaning it's it's a conditioned thing that arises and passes away. It's anatta, it's uncontrollable, unsustainable, it's impermanent. We have to look at our experience and remind ourselves of that truth you know, look more closely you, you need some wisdom investigate to support the nakama practice even if you get everything that you think you want the mind will simply throw up more more wanting in order to be satisfied there will also be the fear of losing what you've got or thing, the fear of things changing, dissatisfaction. And the very nature of our senses is that they can't sustain Sukhoi Tana all the time. It keeps dropping away. You know, we can prove it if we eat our favorite food over and over again. And gradually you lose the pleasure from it and it even becomes painful, unpleasant. nature of the sense realm is like that so you're only giving up something which is unreliable there's the nature of the happiness that comes from sila samadhi Punya well it becomes much more satisfying to the mind much more refined obviously there's even levels of that one develops deep samadhi but one also contemplates the impermanence and the lack of self in that. But it leads on from one thing to the next. It leads on the, the happiness of sila. saying so the mind that is free from guilt, remorse. It leads on to samadhi, the mind that is free from the hindrances. It leads on to insight, the mind that is empty of self, free from delusion. and The highest happiness. But all of this is preferable to the happiness of just sense pleasure, the sensory realm. And dana barami, nekama Bharami vital at the beginning of our path, to understand their role and their value. Even if we haven't perfected them yet, they give us the, the direction to go. the sila parami in training the mind as the forerunner of our speech, our actions in the intention to again give up unskillful harmful speech harmful actions in a way it's another form of dana you in giving up something from the mind by not following it, you know, the intention to kill, to steal, commit excess sexual misconduct, to lie or speak in unskillful ways, take drink or drugs, just the five precepts, contemplating them, see, it's a giving up of the intention to do those things based on wisdom again the understanding that that, those intentions carried through harm us by making karma for ourselves and then harm others create suffering for others to carry through sila parami we need great patience kanti parami effort, virya wisdom and so on Aditana, such Aditana as well. Sometimes we have to use our precepts, especially as we take on more precepts. Say, so if a novice or a bhikkhu, and there's more precepts, And sometimes our intentions pop up to break the precepts. Sometimes you have to just use Aditana, just be firm and say, "Well, I'm going to determine not to break this precept." You know, it could be a very small one. The bhikkhu vinaya has many, many small or minor rules. It could be something very simple, just in the way you sit, the way you use your body in different situations, not using your body in an aggressive way in any way, or using your body to show respect to a a senior monk. Just very simple little things, how we sit, how we walk, how we talk. We sometimes just need aditana Bharami to set the mind straight. I'm going to give this up. If you've noticed, say, a a fault, a a blemish in our sila that we miss easily because it's so minor, but we can also see the value of keeping it. You might need Bharami just to make it very firm in the mind. This is something I have to give up. And that gives some strength. And then through the practice of mindfulness, you're recognizing the intention when it arises to break that precept. One catches it before one says or does that thing. Sometimes they say, Sila Parami, the heart of Sila is Metta, another Parami. The, the result of practicing Sila is development of harmlessness, harmlessness of action, harmlessness of speech, which is synonymous with Metta, goodwill, friendliness, kindness, compassion. In Metta Parami, the Buddha very succinctly put the benefits of Metta Parami. One develops Metta in one's daily life. The thought of goodwill for oneself, for others, leads one to sleep well, rest well, no nightmares, no bad dreams. Protected by the devas. Practicing metta, other human beings tend to think well of us, treat us well. Even non-human beings treat us well. We don't have to worry about ghosts or other things in the night. Through the practice of metta, One develops a very firm practice of metta, then even the Buddha said even weapons won't harm us. One really develops metta to the point where the mind is one-pointed. Samadhi develops, and metta has a certain power, and it's expressed through our physical presence. If you have metta then you're not displaying anger or aggression in your facial features, your actions of body and mind, of body and speech. The way you speak tends to be more gentle, tone of voice and so on. So if you were in a situation where you were being threatened by another person with a weapon or an animal, then obviously the mind of metta would be doing little to provoke that aggressive, angry being. And perhaps just the good karma set up by the mind of metta would be enough to minimize the conditions, the causes and conditions for harm to occur in that situation. And people used to ask how Lumpur Phan could spend the whole rains at Tamkam, northeast Thailand. When the first year he went there there was a tiger family living in the next cave, just a short distance along the cliff face. And Lumpur Phan was renowned for his Metta Parami. In the mind dwelling in metta, in non-violence, non-aggression. Body, speech and mind not expressing violence, aggression in any form, in any way. he obviously didn't do anything to stir the tigers, to provoke them, to frighten them, make them feel threatened. His presence, obviously exuded Meta to the point where they just let him be and they went on and did their own thing and weren't worried about him. That's the, the result of perfecting metta paramis, that those beings who come in contact with you are not feeling threatened. So there's very little reason for them to attack or harm you barring some very deep perhaps old karma that really can't be changed or affected Metta itself is supported by all those other paramis you practice Metta always guided by wisdom it's not just a sort of, what the more modern phrases are, positive thinking. But it's not a foolish kind of well-wishing, and one's in a deluded state of just positive thinking. One still has wisdom, discerning, understanding situations, understanding oneself, understanding other people and situations. Metta means goodwill. And true metta means wishing what is truly beneficial for oneself and others. And that needs to be guided by wisdom again. Doesn't always mean seeing just the positive in everything. Mm. Wisdom also sees the negative side of things, so that one can understand the benefit and the harm of different things. Whether it's one's own state of mind, one has to know if one has a negative or unwholesome state of one mind one has to know, oh, this is negative this is leading to suffering or if somebody else reflects their negative state of mind in their behaviour does something unskillful one can know that oh that was unskillful or anything you are involved with in life you have to be able to also see the the benefits, the drawbacks. You you use a medicine, you evaluate it with wisdom and say, oh, this medicine works well for me based on having taken it and seeing the results. Another medicine you might say, oh, I had an allergic reaction to this, no good for me. I won't take this. So metta is balanced by wisdom. In regards to other people, if you're looking at other people giving advice, sometimes you have to give advice that maybe they don't want to hear. Maybe there's something they want to hear from you but you don't say. You don't just say, they do something wrong, you're not going to praise them if they do something wrong. Maybe you have to say, oh, that was wrong, and they don't like to hear that. A meta comes out in many ways, but it's obviously, it's the intention. And then the skill of metta with wisdom. So for a bhikkhu we have to be careful about how much metta we have for females because we have so many rules guarding our celibacy, guarding lustful states of mind that might overcome us very quickly. So one has to be guarded in how much, how often one speaks to females, which females one speaks to, when and where, and so on. We have many rules and guidelines to help. And that's metta. The rules came from the metta of the Buddha, with the wisdom, seeing what human beings need to train themselves to deal with their inner defilements. And we also have to have metta any aspect of the practice that we develop is developing meta for ourselves as one human being and meta for others if you practice well then you're being a good example to others and you can lead by example or explain to others how you practice and they'll understand or even things that maybe other people don't understand and don't realize the benefit. If you've seen the benefit and you have true metta, then you might still pursue that course. Many people don't understand why monks are celibate or don't use money. But if we see this is truly beneficial for a human being to train like this, to simplify the lifestyle, spend a lot of time in seclusion, living in a very simple, frugal way so that we can deepen our practice of mindfulness and samadhi and wisdom, and then that's practicing metta, isn't it? That's the underlying intention. Having practiced that and then un- understood the value of it and passed it, one can pass it on to others because often lay people don't realize the benefit of some of these more spiritual qualities lacking them in their lives or they don't see the value of them. Just using metabharami as a way to guide your speech in your day-to-day living. The guideline is the speech with metta will be helping the one listening to increase wholesome dhammas in their mind and decrease unwholesome dhammas in their mind unskillful mental states so you can reflect on your own speech do you think that speech what you just said or what you said earlier today was it helping increase your own skillful states of mind or the, the in, increase the skillful states of mind in others or was it doing the opposite? Was it increasing the unskillful states of mind in yourself or others? You know, what you talk about, how you talk, the mood, the emotion as you talk, and so on. That's a practice of metta, skillful speech, speech that points to the Dhamma. Sometimes people ask why there's no sati-bharami or samati parami, very closely linked. But really you can find sati Barami and samati bharami in all the other bharamis. And if you practice metta, one, one way the Buddha described metta is one who has metta, they watch over themselves. They guard themselves with sati, with mindfulness. So, if you're practicing metta parami, then you're developing mindfulness. You're developing mindfulness. You're developing metta. You watch over yourself. You know, just as a parent watches over their young baby to make sure that they're not in trouble, because they they need that we have to develop that quality of mind that watches over itself, watches over our speech, our actions, to make sure we're not creating suffering for ourselves. Or if we are, we have to watch over ourselves and learn and change direction, the way we think, say, speak, act. It's that quality of watching over, guarding over, that's mindfulness. And that's the practice of metta. Because if you're truly wishing yourself well, then you'll be developing mindfulness to protect yourself from falling into more suffering, more danger. If you truly have goodwill for others, then you'll be promoting mindfulness in others. And the best way to promote mindfulness in others is practice mindfulness for oneself one practices mindfulness diligently, when the mind becomes more firm and stable, then it becomes a mind of samadhi. So often they talk about samadhi as synonymous with metta. When you have metta, you have samadhi. When the mind becomes firm, training in sila, training in meditation techniques, then you're overcoming the hindrances. And one of the hindrances is ill-will. So when you've given up ill-will, you naturally have metta. So when you have samadhi, you have metta. contemplating these paramis, you see how they're all supporting each other, all related in this way. But we're learning to really bring them up through our commitment to the practice bring them up so they become part of us so we're actually changing ourselves through the practice so these paramis are there whatever the situation whatever the the test or the challenge whether we feel strong and healthy or ill and tired whether we're busy or whether we're on retreat on our own or whether we're with a lot of other people whether we're working whether we're on our own in the kuti walking around whatever the situation we're learning to maintain the barami and develop them so they can't be easily overcome lost. The more we do practice mindfulness, you know, guarding over the mind, guarding over speech, actions, preventing ourselves from creating more suffering for ourselves and others, then you know, this gradually brings the mind to equanimity. You know, the most, perhaps the hardest, parami to develop. That's why they put it at the end of the list equanimity towards all conditions. Physical, mental. Whatever's going on. When you can see when your mindfulness is strong. The mind doesn't drop into its moods of desire, craving, liking, disliking. It's more balanced, more stable. Quality of equanimity arises. You can see. Truth. When you see truth with this wisdom, clarity, then you can accept the truth of existence as the way it is. So you can accept, say, old age sickness and death as it is. Separation from all that one loves and likes as normal. Just as we chant in the morning chanting. All these things we call dukkha. These are the inherent dukkha of existence that we can't really avoid. So we have to experience separation in life. We are actually experiencing separation all the time, aren't we? If you think about it, we're never with the things we love and like all the time, even if we were denying this truth of separation and trying our best to avoid any kind of separation. It's impossible, isn't it? You can't spend all your time with your loved ones in terms of family and friends can't spend all the time with the things you love and like and want in this world we naturally are separating all the time it's just a delusion of permanence and continuity hides this so we don't feel the separation very strongly or clearly but when you practice all these paramis together develop the mindfulness and the metta and the equanimity and the wisdom. You know, just the simple truth of the fact that you do get separated from everything you love and want, the mind comes to accept that peacefully and sees it as normal, as part of existence, so it doesn't get worried by it or upset by it or too concerned by it, it just knows them that's the way it is. In the ultimate equanimity, one accepts death is the normal way of existence as a human being. Once born, we have to die. We all laugh and happy with babies when there's birth, but we forget that as soon as there's a birth, then it's conditioning a death. Equanimity is what brings us to accept that truth in our hearts so the mind is not shaken by it but just knows it accepts it, understands it with equanimity and that would be the perfection of the parami even in, on pain of death they're not shaken from the mind you know, in the face of death one doesn't lose one's metta so say one is threatened in some way one wouldn't get fearful or angry or act in selfish ways or break the sealer or lose one's patience and all the sort of paramis we've been developing wouldn't just disappear if they're real parami then some of them will be there stable and firm in the mind even at the moment of death that's parami if they're completely perfected well then brings the mind to the fruition of the noble path that doesn't degenerate or disappear even on pain of death so sometimes we can reflect both on where our parami are at this time how strong is my metta? how strong is my wisdom not so much even my this, my that but just seeing them as qualities are ultimately uh, without self but they're qualities to be developed because this is the way out of suffering so it's more like natural qualities that one is bringing up having seen that this is the path one, and one follows that path developing these qualities but one observes are they there? how, how strong are they? how easily do we lose them? How easily are they shaken? And when we see we need to develop them more, what do we need to do to develop them more? Where do we need to put our efforts in the practice? We need to contemplate more, investigate the truths that the Buddha taught more deeply. We need to develop more energy, more patience more generosity, more kindness, and so on. So we always have something to do in the practice. We never really have to be at a loose end or lost. Even when the mind is in a very difficult state, full of doubt, very restless, dissatisfied, discontent. You know, that's always an opportunity to practice kantiparami, to be patient with your own mind. Practice metabarami, to have a sense of tolerance towards your own mind when it falls into negative states, kilesa. There's always A parami we can be developing in every situation, every time of day, every situation. The result of those paramis, little by little, the mind becomes more brighter, more radiant, more peaceful. They're not without end, without result. They bring their own result. Reflected in the quality of the mind. Who rises a little bit higher away from the suffering of the world, little by little. So I'll leave you with those thoughts for your contemplation tonight.